people talk about 10x engineers, people who are giving back 10 times more than a mediocre engineer. To me, a 10x engineer is not somebody who writes 10 times more code. A 10x engineer is somebody who basically understands the customer, makes the right trade-offs, know what problem they're solving. And I think having that perspective helps them build a better design. Engineers own the product experience. Just that ownership that I'm not just building to a spec, I have an opinion. That's a very, very important part of our, uh, part of our culture. What is up, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, I speak to Shadi Rostami, who is the Senior VP at Amplitude. We talk about Shadi's amazing career spanning across Palo Alto Networks and Amplitude and dive into her leadership philosophy and engineering principles. It's a really fun conversation where Shadi is dropping golden nuggets on how to build successful engineering teams that are customer-obsessed and outcome-driven. So pump up that volume and get ready for this brilliant conversation with Shadi Rostami. All right. So welcome to the podcast, Shadi. How are you doing? Very good. Very excited to be chatting with you today, David. Thanks for having me. So how was your weekend? Anything special you did this weekend? Weekend was good, actually. I went to a little bit of a hike, which was nice. So I felt like I moved a little bit, but that gave me good energy. I think we all need something over the weekend to, that centers us, you know, gives us the energy to come back into the week. You know, I'm also like that. So I, I'm, I live in Dallas, so I don't get a lot of hiking to do, you know, but I go out and try to play some sports. So it's it's great to, uh, you know, have you on the podcast again. Uh, you know, I know we had just connected about a few weeks ago and now we're finally recording. So it's exciting to have you. Very, very excited. Yes. And you should move to California or come to California and do some hiking with us. <laughs> I will give it a shot. You know, I lived there briefly, had a great time. Uh, but I just felt like, you know, Dallas was my place. So <laughs> this is where we are. All right. So so as we begin, right, Shadi, and um, I know we joked about um, how Shadi uh, actually means marriage, <laughs> right? Because in India, that's the word. But I'm, I'm so familiar with uh, the, the word uh, Shadi and your name is Shadi Rostami. So you've, you've ha- you have this amazing name. Uh, do, have you ever thought about meeting people and if you meet Indian people, have you ever introduced your name and they come back to you saying, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting name. Has that ever happened? Yeah, that happens almost every time. So when I meet an Indian uh, uh, fellow and I, I basically introduce myself, so what's your name? I say Shadi. And first they look at me and I say, what? I say Shadi. And then they say, uh, you know, how do you spell it? And, and then they said, do you know what it means in Indian? I said, yes, of course. I know it means marriage. And I have the most popular website, shadi.com. I think it's one of the most populous websites <laughs> in the world. So I feel very basically honored. But I also joke and say, you know, in, actually in Farsi, shadi means happiness. And I say... I said, probably, you know, all of these languages have common roots. If you go back thousands of years ago, marriage and happiness were the same, and then they diverged. So one became Shadi as happiness in Farsi, and and Shadi as marriage remained in Indian. That's awesome. I mean, I, I love the fact that you are able to relate those, and you seem like a very happy person, and I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. All right. So so as we begin, you know, I wanted to like uh, like start the conversation asking you about uh, 
you know, what your current role at Amplitude is. Kind of tell us about what you do uh, and uh, kind of kick us off and let the people know uh, Shadi Rastami a little bit. Yes, definitely. So I'm actually uh, SVP of engineering here at Amplitude. I'm responsible for our uh, engineering, entire engineering, uh, support and security at Amplitude. And uh, I've been with Amplitude four and a half years uh, and I very have had a very excited journey with Amplitude. Now that you're the SVP of engineering at Amplitude, like uh, it's definitely at some point in your career, you chose uh, you know, that you wanted to do engineering somewhere when you there was a young Shadi growing up and she's like, hey, I want to do engineering, you know, something like that. So tell us a little bit about uh, that, you know, what made you choose a career in engineering and what were the motivations, you know? Yeah, actually, when I grew up, my dad wanted me to be a doctor. And he actually wanted, my dad was a math teacher, but for some reason he thought that being a medicine, medical doctor is the best path to go. Uh, so he kind of encouraged in his own terms, but kind of forced uh, me and my bo- brother to be thinking about that path. Uh, my brother is actually a physician. He followed suit and he did that. I was the one who was rebellious. And I really loved uh, math and physics when I was in high school and middle school. And I, I tried to go into the path of, you know, biology and medical, but then I realized I'm, this is not for me and I'm not going to be good at it. So I went and, you know, uh, cried with him and told him that, no, please let me go back. And he, of course, he agreed. And I went back to the math and uh, physics path and eventually went to engineering, which I really am really passionate about. Yeah. So how long have you been in uh, tech now? Like if we quantify that, you you writing your first program to now, how many years would that be? Oh, I think you're trying to find, guess my age by asking that question. No. <laughs> no. So let's try. Okay. Like, like, give me like, it's been a couple of decades. Should we say that? Uh, would that be like a good? Yeah, a lot more than So no, actually, it's okay. You can know my age. I don't have any problem with that. So I, you know, I did my first programming in in basic and you know basic languages, and and then I actually did Pascal programming when I was in high school. When I was in high school, there is this competition, an international competition called Olympiads, Computer Olympiads. So I was part of the Iranian team that went to the international Olympiads and. We did actually, I was in, you know, junior in, in high school. Actually, I was a senior in high school when we went to the international one. And we did a lot of, we had a whole camp of learning how to do programming languages, all of algorithms, you know, and so on and so forth. So that was in 1994. So since 1994, I'm coding a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I mean, Olympiads are generally like the top of the top uh, people go in there. And to win that is a pretty big deal. You know, I feel like that's awesome. Did you, uh, was there anything that happened early on that really, uh, you know, made you feel like, you know, this is what I should be doing? Like why engineering was just purely because you were like, well, I don't want to be a physician or a doctor, so I'll just do engineering. Was that, was that the decision? I really like math problem solving and, uh, and, you know, Part of me also, when I was growing up in Iran, they would tell to yourself that, oh, girls are not as smart as boys. And I, I, I joke with my friends is that my rebellion against the system was that to prove them wrong, that we, <laughs> we can do everything that boys can do as a, as a teenage girl. Uh, but I really love math and problem solving. It could go on and on. And then when I start actually 
programming and learn you know, programming languages. I remember uh, my first programming when I was in middle school. Uh, with, I didn't have a computer at home, so I would go and write down all of these codes at home on a piece of paper and would go to, to school at 6.30 in the morning because the computer lab would open up at 6.30 and I would, you know, uh, I would do and do, uh, do my programming there and get the results. Just seeing that I'm, I'm creating something was very fulfilling for me. And, and also one other thing is that I'm not very good with my hands. So if you tell me to go build a box, I'm not going to do a very good job. But here I can build something without actually using my hands and, you know, sawing or whatever. So that was that felt very satisfying and I can, a, a high sense of accomplishment that got me excited. Yeah, no, I can relate with that, you know, because my, the first programming language that I got introduced to was, uh, I think, C++ back in. And so we had to do object-oriented programming and I was like, ah, I don't know what what this is the theory didn't I, I didn't really like it initially but then i started uh writing some code and uh you know i don't know if you remember we had to write palindrome and fibonacci and i would the whole idea of writing a like 10 lines of code and then seeing it kind of pop out you felt a sense of accomplishment in that and so computer lab was mostly my favorite place to be because uh growing up in india that was the only place we had some sort of internet access so while we would write and run our programs we would also go and kind of check out american online or myspace and check and see what's happening there you know so it was uh, <laughs> it was exciting from that point of view uh, for myself so i can completely relate with this idea of you know, writing something, influencing or solving a problem, you know. So from there on, you started a career in computer engineering with a software engineer. And I believe you had a long tenure at um, Palo Alto, right? And uh, very, I went through it uh, on LinkedIn, so many amazing things that you've done. Uh, tell us a little bit about starting your career and then Palo Alto, how the software engineering experience was for you. I, I got my bachelor in Iran, and then I went to graduate school in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I went there in 1998. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, in 1999, I could just get a master and graduate. And everybody was telling me, the market is hot. Come, and this is time to go. And I said, no, no, I love research. I'm going to stay at school. So I stayed there, and I left school when the market has collapsed. The dot-com uh, boom has busted. But what I learned actually throughout that process is that I really, you know, I liked it, but I'm not patient enough to just do research. I like to see the result of my, my work. I like to build and see it happening. It's impacting right away. And, you know, it's just, I, it's good to know your own, you know, weaknesses. And I'm not a patient, not my virtue. So that's why I said, okay, I'm going to go work in industry. So I work at a couple of startups and they were not successful, you know, but actually, I learned a lot during that journey. And I, I actually recommend people in their, uh, you know, I tell my daughters who are now, uh, you know, in college students that your first job is so important. And I think I really like that I was in a startup because the good thing about startup is there's a lack of resources, which means that you get a big area of ownership. And that basically helped me. So I, I was working. I was a new college graduate. I, I did some project. And then, you know, I think I did okay. I did good. But then they wanted to build a new product line. And they offered it to me as, a, you know, somebody who was just a few months of experience, which, which is, doesn't happen if you're working at a big company. So I really liked that I work on that. And, 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 and as I said, I learned in these two startups uh, uh, and, again, a lot of technical expertise. And then eventually I decided to join 
Palo Alto Network. Palo Alto Network was another startup. This was my third startup. When I joined Palo Alto, it was 40 people. It was a very tiny startup. We didn't know whether we were going to make it or not. Actually, it was in 2000. Uh, seven uh, that I joined Palo Alto, and then there was a whole, you know, uh, you know, subprime issue and financial issue in two thousand eight, and so on. So there was point that we were questioning whether we we're going to make it or not. Uh, but uh, but it was an amazing company. I actually stayed there for eleven years, and I grew with the company. I think when I left, we were about 8,000 people. So it was amazing to see the growth and to see all of the exciting problems that we are solving for our customers. One of the things you said that I really connect with a lot is this idea of working at startups when you're early in your career, right? Because it exposes you to different problems that you won't get to kind of get exposed to when you're working at a big company. I also feel like it gives you opportunities to figure out if you have some sense of leadership capabilities, because when you are in like a startup environment, it's either you own up and be accountable for something that you feel is missing, or you're just somebody who is waiting for instructions. Um, I wanted to talk about what you said about Palo Alto, right? Um, what was uh, like now that you're a leader, right? Uh, so give us a little, uh, an idea from that, uh, you know, tenure that you've had. How did that experience at Palo Alto help you shape your perspective on, you know, engineering and leadership? Because you went from 40 people to 8,000 people and that's a, that's a big scale. So you're growing with the company. So you got lucky, third time lucky with your third company. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Because now you're a great leader at Amplitude. So I'm pretty sure you learn something there so what, what was that like a couple of things i really liked is that and you know it's, it's actually it's very important for me one of the important values that we have at palo alto was the ownership and you know and you know it's you know, I, I actually, you know, that's part of the reason that I, you know, I say you mentioned that it's good to be in a in a startup because you feel that a high sense of ownership. You're responsible for something. You're not just a tiny little fish in a big pond. But the ownership actually, is, you know, if you have that culture, it can happen as the company grows. I I remember once I went to my uh, VP at the time at Palo Alto and I said. Uh, Rajiv, I don't know, shall I do A or B? And he told me if it was your own money uh, and your own company, what would you make? What you make? What decision would you make? What would you decide? And I said, I would probably do A. So then you know the answer. You don't need to even come and ask me. Just just going with that mindset of just, am I making you know the right decision if it was, you know, and then aligning, uh, thinking about your growth while thinking about the company growth. It's not two different things. So I think that is very important. And I think that ownership was very important. When I decided to join Amplitude, I wanted to make sure that culture existed and it's one of their values. And that's why I felt like I'm connected. I actually, I have changed it a little bit, slightly what my VP told me at, at the time. And I say, I actually hire founders. I don't hire employees. I want you to be with that founder mindset. And I always tell people, put your founder hat on and tell me what we should be doing here. Uh, you know, that mindset, uh, you know, it's so critical. Of course, you know, ownership is also accountability is important. So you, you, you feel a sense of ownership, you, you, you dive into different areas, but you hold other people and hold yourself accountable to deliver that outcome. So that was the one, the, one of the most important thing that I've seen. Actually, sometimes you see 
counterexample of when things go wrong. So, for example, if you see at a company that people who are empire builders and all they think about how big their team becomes, so they become they feel more powerful. That's exactly if if it was your own money, you would not be going hiring people and paying them a lot, you know, just to feel more powerful. But of course, you would go hire people to make sure you add the capacity and deliver things that you want to do. That so you'll see it happening in a lot of areas with that. So that's my first important rule. I really like what you said about founder hat. Do you think that that's an ability somebody who doesn't have can learn in the sense to feel like, hey, I need to start owning this? Like, have you seen people do like initially? I'm not thinking like that, but they do certain things and they learn that okay, I can become a founder. Kind of thought process in my thought, you know. I believe that we can learn almost everything. It's not that we are just born with things. I really believe in the growth mindset that we can put ourselves and we can so. It's it's valuable to be in an environment that people are thinking that way, so you can see the patterns. You can you know you can see it. But and I always say that people that it's important to see what is important for you and make sure you are in an environment that's you know satisfy your need or your 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 ambitions. And so yeah, I think definitely you know people can can learn how to be in that mindset. And always you know one of the things that I think is important as you're thinking about things and how to improve is do the right retro. Um, what decision I made? Was it really a, a best decision for the company? How could I have influenced more people and so on and so forth to be in that mindset? Right, right. So uh, let's switch into where you are right now with Amplitude and almost four and a half years. And I had such a great time. You know, I went to your LinkedIn and I was like, I saw your, you know, the company went public and I could see you in the photo and I was like, let's go. Shadi's there in that photo taking the company IPO, which is a big deal uh, for any company to get to that point, right? So when you joined Amplitude about four and a half years ago, um, tell us a little bit about where the company was and uh, what were you guys trying to accomplish at that point uh, and taking that forward? Yeah, uh, when I joined Amplitude, it was a much smaller company, you know, the entire engineering was not even 50 people. Uh, the entire, you know, our revenue was not 50 million, less than $50 million a year. And of course, uh, you know, going public, uh, you know, is a very important milestone. But I think it's important to know that's just, just a milestone. It's an external validation that we are solving. The real thing that gives me the high and energy is that is the the, the customer problems that we are solving. How are we creating value for our customer? After I decided I want to leave Palo Alto, for the first time in my life, I decided to be intentional. And I spent four months talking to different people, trying to figure out what I want to be. Uh, you know, I always tell people I've been lucky. If I didn't have a job, the next day I would not die of hunger. So let's use that luxury to f- figure out where is the uh, where is the next place I want to be? And of course, we are very lucky, all of us, to be in this time and age, being in tech. There's so many opportunities, and I also had a lot of opportunities. Uh, but I, among all of them, I, you know, you know, you know, uh, joke with my partner. I said during that four months, I felt like an Uber driver because I was going from one meeting to another. To another. It was really crazy. At the time, everything was in person. You would go meet people in person. It wasn't over Zoom that much. But I, I, I really like to go through that journey. And first of all, there was a little bit of a path of self-discovery. What is important for me as I'm talking to different people, understanding different cultures of companies, different you know areas. But I really, I really pick amplitude 
for a number of reasons. Uh, so Amplitude basically is in product analytics space. The, the goal is to provide visibility so the builder of products, uh, you know, uh, uh, can basically understand how the users are using, have understanding of their customers, and build a better product. That we just want to make sure that people are building better products using data. And and I really believe that uh, you know this is the right problem to solve, and we are at the right time, right place. Because if you think about it, maybe twenty years ago, the success, people were building a physical gadget. It was going, you know, going somewhere else. But the success of a company was about how good is their sales and marketing is. You know, sales is actually how good the sales can can sell the gadget. Nowadays, majority of the things that we're consuming are digital products. You know, I I joke with my friends and I say I have used three different fitness apps in the last week, and I have a lot the pound <laughs> yet but but we're all consuming all of this digital product so two things happen with this digital product one is that uh, it's we have uh, people who are developing these products uh, have a luxury because now they can see how their users are using the product before if you were shipping something and nobody would see you don't know how people are using it now you can see that interaction but there's also a, a, a negative side is that uh, I don't know whether it's a negative or positive, but consumer can easily move from one product to another, right? So that's why I say I use two different apps, fitness apps, which one can help me, uh, you know, uh, uh, in my path. So, so because of that, it's so critical that whoever is building product, whoever engineer, product managers, really have this visibility into the customer. So I felt like this is the right problem to be solved. I joke with my friend. I said, I'm not going to, you know, I cannot go cure cancer. But if I do my job be- well, then the fellow engineer or product manager can know, okay, where, which, which part of their product to double down, which part to kill, basically how to work smarter than, than harder and build better product. And we have an indirect impact on the quality of everybody because they're, they're interacting with a much better product. Right. And I think this whole understanding of product-led growth, while people have always had that, okay, we need to be conscious of data, especially in the last, say, eight, nine years. And I think COVID really, those years actually accelerated that because we were like, well, there is no real way to get a quantifiable decision-making done, but through data and data became like this new oil. And what you at Amplitude have done is come at the right time and build a great company around that. So, so that kind of makes sense as to what motivated you. Was there, I'm just curious, was there any other company that you were also excited for at that time that you were exploring that also blew up? <laughs> Actually, I, none of them have blown up yet, so I'm not going to go talk about them. <laughs> but <laughs> all <right. laughs> they're all around, but I can say they're not as successful. A number of them are not as successful as Amplitude has been on that journey. <laughs> so you worked at 11 years at Palo Alto, gaining the superior uh, you know, experience in a way, talking to different people, having that founder's head, going into another you know, company and now kind of trying to do the same thing, but in a different way as, a, as an SVP, as a leader. Um, what are the key differences uh, that you see at Palo Alto uh, when you were there to where you are right now? Like, what is the engineering culture like in terms of, okay, I would say, what have you brought here? And what have you tried to do differently uh, at the when as you build this new team out here? Yeah, so at Paul Alto, I was a VP of Eng. Uh, I was re- responsible for a big part of our product offering. But my peers were other VPs of Eng. 
So I could learn, and I always believe that you learn a lot from your peer. You learn a lot. So I learned a lot from other peers and the other, but we are all engineers. We speak the same language and so on. At Amplitude, when I joined, uh, basically I'm head of engineering and I report to our CEO. My peers is our CFO and our, uh, uh, you know, uh, president, which is in part, responsible for uh, go-to-market and our CPO. So I really, again, I really believe that you learn a lot from your peers. So I'm learning a lot about what's going on in the in the CRO role or CFO roles or, you know, other areas. So that's one reason that I actually felt like this is a, because I always believe that we should, you know, we should always be learning and growing, uh, you know, and in you know, different areas. Otherwise, we're just going to be, I'm going to be bored and obsolete. So I feel like that is, that is an area for my growth. And I, I really like that. But coming to the team, but okay, so this is good. So I'm growing. But what am I bringing to the table now? Why do they want me, right? So, you know, one of the things that I really, really like about Amplitude, it was that it has a very, it, it has a very, you know, solid uh, engineering nucleus that I can go b- build a- around them. Uh, it had the right culture. As I said, ownership was an important part that related to me. We have two other cultures, a humility and growth mindset that is very, very important for me. And I felt like I really resonated. So it had all of that. But now I can come in and add processes. I can add in to figure out what is the right way of, how do we scale the team? What are the things that I have learned? What are the mistakes I have learned in the past that I can not make that or make new mistakes uh, and figure out? So I feel like that I can bring that uh, that experience, bring uh, that perspective while we have such an amazing team and build around that and, and take it to the next level, which, which turned out to be very exciting. It feels like you kind of live these principles and these values because I feel like if you, if individually as a person you can't have, you don't align with these values, then it's very difficult to kind of fake them. So from what you're saying, I, I like that you kind of live them out. Um, I want... Yeah, I can't, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's very, you, you, you said a very important goal. I always tell people that, uh, you know, it's very important to be authentic. You can't really fake things. If, if you, know, uh, you know, people read through, sorry, read through, I don't know if I can say it in the podcast, but I said, read through BS very easily, right? Uh, you know, they, they, you cannot fake it. So make sure that you feel good about something. Actually, a joke and say, uh, I have, uh, this is my joke I've used a lot. I said that sometimes I go to a meeting and I get beaten up. I don't know, it's a board meeting or whatever, you know. And as I'm leaving that meeting and go, going back to my desk, I, I have to feel good about myself. Otherwise, people would, would read through me and I know that I, I am beaten up. So I said, okay, I need to be thinking good about myself. What do I say? I say, I'm such a good mom. So that's why I go back to my desk. <laughs> so it's something that gives me that energy. And I, I joke and say, sometimes my kids give me such a hard time and I need to feel good about myself. I'm such a good employee. So that gives me the, <laughs> the energy. And can you, you, what you brought up is a challenge as a leader in itself, right? Like, and I... Um, I don't lead a team at Cockroach, but I've I've led teams in different spaces, right? And 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 even let's say you are leading a sports team or something. Sometimes you have this idea that you're a leader, and so you sometimes have to set the right example or be inspiring. And there are days when you are beaten up, and you have consciously struggling or mental health challenges and all those things that's going on with you. But then you also have to lead, right? Um, uh, and again, you also have other functions, say as a mother or uh, as a wife or as a partner, all those things kind of happen in your life. Uh, but the role of a leader is 
still to inspire still to uh, direct uh, and i'm glad, glad that you brought it up um so whenever something like that happens so once you kind of say that to yourself uh, are you able to like exactly get back into the groove of things and drive the team out to kind of succeed yeah exactly i think you you said this very well your job as a leader is to inspire the team right so you have to see how you take care of yourself what gets you to be in that good mood as i said i i feel good about myself because i say i'm a good mom or whatever i say, I say something good to myself to to feel like that i feel good about myself and i feel you know i'm 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 you know i'm in a good mood because the energy gets transpired before you know it everybody gets that energy from you so that is why it's very important to be thinking about how do i take care of myself maybe i don't know you know the fact that over the weekend i went i go for a hike and i just forget about the world for 2 3 hours and i've been in in the in in the wilderness helped me to get into that but i think that's very very important as as a leader you take care of yourself so then you can take care of your team and set the right example and 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 do that i wanted to uh, take a segue to now from being a leader to the team itself that you're leading right um tell us a little bit more about at amplitude like how do you approach uh, or you know the design process the architectural process how, how what's the process looks like for you guys in terms of when it comes to designing your products building your products or doing some innovations do you have any special principles uh, that you have set in place Yeah we have a number of principles in engineering and I think it's very very important and we try to basically uh you know operate on that one of the one of our principles we call it ship fast i'm actually telling people ship fast with quality and why is that because i really be- we really believe in the culture of iteration uh and it's not because we just want to put something quickly out there it's because we want to get customer feedback as soon as possible because if as an engineer you go into a closet and build something that's going to come back 2 years from now but then you might realize either it's, it's obsolete nobody cares about it or you were not solving the right problem the people this one not so getting it as everybody talks about mvp of your product getting it early on in front of the customers so we 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 say that if you want to build a car don't go build a car first build a skateboard and then scooter and i don't know motorbike or whatever eventually get to a car so you can get all of those feedback so that's that's a co- one of our core important principle that is very very important another one that i think uh, you know i always say that engineers uh, you know people talk about 10x engineers people who are uh, you know giving back 10 times more than a mediocre engineer to me a 10x engineer is not somebody who writes 10 times more code a 10x engineer is somebody who basically understand the customer makes the right trade offs know what problem they're solving and i think having that perspective help them build a better design uh, you know don't over engineer it or don't under engineer know what they're they're solving that that is so core and that's so important and and that's why one of our other principle is that you know own, engineers own the product experience and it, it's very aligned with our culture ownership i always tell people that if i go and tell somebody okay you know Uh, David why did you build this ugly product and you tell me oh because i thought because the pm told me and i built the spec i said wrong answer but if you tell me because i thought it's going to be pretty but it turned out to be ugly i said okay that's okay what are your learnings from that just that ownership that i'm not just building to a spec i have an opinion i know and i i think that's a very very important part of a uh, part of our culture and the other thing that i think is is always very important is that uh, you know uh 
company greater than team greater than me. So I always figure out that, you know, of course, I want to grow. I want the team to grow. I want the company to grow. But there are sometimes if they're at conflicts, it gives people to figure out how to balance that. out. So these are these are the principles that can help people as they're going through the processes and figure out to make sure to make the right decision and the right framework to make decisions. I just want to dive into the second point that you made. I think all three were like really great to know uh, the idea that you have the product team uh, and the engineers designing the product experience. So uh, do you have like, do they get like feedback from customers or like data from customers? Of course, you're building a product led product, you know, for the uh, for everybody. So do they get like access to like Salesforce data or, you know, customer feedbacks or customer experience uh, comes to them and they kind of start looking at that and start, start dissecting it? Yeah. So, you know, engineers owning the product experience, first of all, doesn't mean that it's only engineers. We believe in the triad. We have product, design, and engineer working hand-to-hand with each other. But but you're absolutely correct. If you want engineers to own product experience, they have to have exposure to customer. So we have this thing that I want engineers on a call once a week. It doesn't happen once a week. You know, they go maybe once a month or, you know, like that. But I want people to really talk with customers. So any new feature that we are developing, we have to have a customer development partner. I actually tell people, don't start developing. If you have not found somebody, a customer who's willing to spend the time and be part of your journey, because if you cannot find that, maybe you're, you know, you're building a feature nobody cares about, you know, so have a customer development partner to build things. So that's on the qualitative side. But one thing that is very, very important for us, again, because we are amplitude and we are making sure that we are dog fooding our product also, is that we look at data, right? We have all of these metrics of how people interacting with our product, where are people, how people have delightful moments, where drops off happens and all of those. And we define some outcome. The goal of the team eventually is, you know, we define this North Star, these metrics that define where you're going. You're, the goal of a team is to improve those North Star or those metrics. So actually that's one of the practices that we do in, in product development at Amplitude is that every week, actually it's very important for me, and I every week I go into a meeting with the entire, you know, with the leaders of product development, and we look at all of our metrics. It's like an OKR. These are metrics that we have set. And, and each team can tell us, okay, how they're improving, what is, how, what is happening with their data. So having that visibility and know what am I, uh, improving, being able to use Amplitude and dive deep and understand where customers are dropping off, where, is, where things are going. That gives the engineer a tool so they can make sure they, they're building the right thing. A couple of years ago, I got introduced to this design book somebody had written, which was titled, you know, Outcomes Over Objectives. And it, it kind of, have you read that book too? Or have but you get the you get the whole idea, right? Just from the statement of the title. Is the Interesting thing was they did a case study where somebody was trying to design something and had a similar story to what you were saying. They designed something for two years and after two years, they brought the product out and was so not where it was supposed to be. And they learned from that experience that we have to set what the outcome is over objective. So so the idea was they were trying to build a button and they were like, well, the button needs to be a triangle or color should be pink or red or whatever that is. But nobody asked the question, what does the button drive for the company or for the customer? What the outcome needs to be? Uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Is that the sense uh, of how you guys are looking at it? Okay. 
Exactly. And actually, one of the quotes that I like and I use it a lot is that engineering goal at the company is to help the company win or increase our capacity to win. So we are not just sitting in the corner. We are not a research institute to basically solve a hard problem. We are solving something that can move the business forward. And actually, if you're customer obsessed and you think about solving customer pain, that's kind of very aligned. You solve customer pain, it's going to help move the business. But I think it's so important to measure that. Am I moving in the right direction? Am I doing that? And I think that's why the outcome really matters. Yeah, no, I like it. And also, you were talking about the customer, right? Like customer needs are changing. Right. Like the way I mean, I mean, I'm a customer, right? Today I want something. Next day I want another feature. I'm, I'm continuously, I'm probably the worst customer to any product company. <laughs> but the point is that generally what we've noticed is our behaviors change, our needs change. And according to that, technology stack also changes, right? So we have been observing, right? Like the last decade, we went from VMs to, we were on cloud. We had VMs there, you know, we're talking about Kubernetes, orchestration, uh, you know, some people are talking about Lambda functions, not touching anything, no code, low code, whatever that is, right? So um, how has customer behavior changed for Amplitude and say cloud and how do you kind of engineer for these scenarios when behavior changes? How do you consider all of those things? Good products are the one that they adopt to their customer rather than expecting customer to adopt to them. You want to be successful, you have to be adopting to your customer. And customer needs change. Also, you might get different level of maturity customer. For example, at Amplitude, uh, you know, uh, we we have been, you know, you know, we started as a product analytics. We are getting a lot of digital native companies who were coming and they were really wanted to get that insight to their data and working with Amplitude and getting that. And they wanted more sophisticated features so they can do uh, slice and dice the data uh, more accurately. So we built a lot of features working with our customers. But one other thing that has happened, especially, of course, COVID has accelerated that. It's not that it's not just the digital native companies who are building digital products. A lot of traditional companies are building digital products. Your banks have a digital products, you know, all, all of those things. Your healthcare, you have a digital product that you're interacting with. So there's a lot of more traditional companies that are building digital products. And I think it's very important for us, if you want to serve it, to understand that the needs of this customer might be different than the needs of the uh, digital native customer who are more advanced. So maybe thinking about maybe usability becomes even more important. How, how you get this customer started easier is going to become more important. So to get them on their journey, so one thing that, you know, one of our uh, uh, strategic direction that is they've been simple, you know, make sure that we get people to get started earlier. And how do you make sure that the product experience is, 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 is easier for people and they don't get overwhelmed by too many bells and whistles on, as they're starting their journey? So these are the important things that I think is very important that as you're building your products to make sure that you're satisfying, you know, your customer needs. Back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, your your website was down. I mean, few people would hit you up. Uh, now you would go to X or, you know, there are different places where you will have your customers start posting about a bad customer experience that they are having because your app is not available. So availability is like such a big issue. Uh, so I believe you guys also run on the cloud and you're like uh, a cloud first company. Um, and have you ever had situations where you have to design an architect for multi-region, high availability, do you consider those parameters? 
Absolutely, you know, I think availability is very important. The latency is very important. So I always say that when you build product, people first think about the functional requirement. Do I have the button? Is the button red or blue, as you said? But uh, but then, you know, as product becomes, you know, you, you prove that there's value, then the non-functional requirement, the the, the availability, the operability, the, the, uh, the, the you know, the performance becomes even more important because then you're, you're, you know, the scalability of your solution. Absolutely. I think it's very, very important, you know, make sure people are, people have their, uh, if they have their, you know, a, a business running on your product, they want to make sure they can rely on it. And, you know, there's business continuity going on. Uh, if, 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 for example, at Amplitude, one of the things that is very important for us is that we want to make sure that people are, gaining insights from the data self-serve, which means that they need to be getting their response very fast. Because if I'm asking one question from the app, you know, to, to slice and dice data somehow, and it takes five minutes to get that, I'm already context switch and I want something as exploration stuff. But if I get the answer within a few seconds, then I can ask the second question and I can ask the third question. And then I go through that explore. So, so that's why, for example, latency uh, of how fast we get the response, it becomes more important. And actually that was one of the important things for Amplitude. That's what we have built our own uh, backend engine, our columnar data store, so it can provide to be provide ability for people to, to, for us to slice and dice this data fast to get that response. It again goes back to the what is important for your customer and what experience you want the customer to have. Now you have so many cloud providers available, like you have GCP, Azure, Microsoft, the top three. Like as as an SVP of engineering, do you like that you have more options now that you can kind of have your product run anywhere or all of them at the same time like what's your opinion on that has that helped you or that you have these options now i remember in in, i don't know in 2010 or something we were building a product and it was a new product line uh, and we were thinking of uh, shall we ship an appliance should it be there should it be on the cloud there was a question are people willing to send their data to the cloud would they trust that and so on and so forth and i think we made a good decision at the time at palo alto to go with a cloud-based uh, solution and people opened up of course we have all of the security requirements but that they open up to send that and then people can gain the benefit from this you know collective of all, everybody's running on that the same thing, you know, so cloud provides a number of valuable uh, things uh, for people. As I said, in Palo Alto days, when, when, when people use that product, if, if, a, if one customer sees a malware, a zero-day malware on their environment because it's running in the cloud and everybody can get protected and everybody can get the benefit of that. Uh, in, in, in Amplitude, I think, you know, people can get the benefit of these clouds because you can run, a, we are running a multi-tenant environment. So what happens if you're running multi-tenant environment, then you don't have a dedicated resources for that use case, which means that, you you know, when, when your hard query comes, you can get the benefit of a lot more resources and you get that response. If you wanted to guarantee that, then you have to allocate a much bigger infrastructure, whether you were doing it on your own data center or running an AWS. So, Cloud, uh, you know, all of these services are great. I think competition is great. It's good to have different provider, but also it brings that ability of 
efficiency? How do I, how can I get the best value uh, from what my investment are? And of course, these days, you know, you know, in the days of, you know, 2008, 2010, we had to go and rack and stack and have our own data center and so on and so forth. And it's much harder for a company who's starting nowadays. You know, if you want to start something, you don't have to worry about any of that. You just run on one of these cloud providers. Exactly. I think, I think I also feel like for early adopters or people who are like trying to build POCs or do some R&D, having the cloud readily available, um, you know, of course, you have to put some guardrails when you are a public company on how you enable uh, that experience for your engineering team as to, hey, how much you should spend, you know, you don't want somebody to run a workload that suddenly you get a $50,000 bill in like three hours. You know? <laughs> of course, you have to have those kind of things. But uh, that is a segue um, uh, to the question I wanted to ask is like, how do you do innovation and R&D at Amplitude, um, especially considering you have the option to kind of pick all these products uh, or services from these environments? Yeah, I think these days everybody's thinking about AI, for example. And, you know, innovation, they're thinking about all AI and so on. So the way I think about it is that all of these, uh, all of the innovation we do, AI thing that we do, they're not strategy. They're a tool to help us solve customer pain. So if you're connected with the customer, you understand what is it that you're, you understand their needs. As you said, their needs might be changing. You have a point of view when their needs are going to be. That is going to be the, the thing that drives you to figure out what should I be investing in and what is the right problem to say. So for example, uh, you know, we started as a product analytics company. It was a single uh, product, but we realized com- customer requires a platform. They need to be have one environment. They can get experimentation on top of that, personalization on top of that. It's valuable, and these are all the innovations that we have been doing on top of that to basically solve the customer pain because we we are that that's customer obsession and customer centric to figure out what is important, what are the things that are important for them. Uh, you know, it's it's very very valuable. And I was also curious uh, when you were saying, right, customer obsession, you know, and it kind of lines up with what you were saying, like, oh, you want, you know, your product teams to make product experience based on this customer obsession. So I'm curious when it comes to challenges with this idea, right? Like, do you have you seen situations where folks are like not completely understanding customer experience and or, or any other challenges associated with that? Uh, first of all, you need to understand your customer, but also you need to have a strategy. Uh, you don't you don't want to go to a path that you didn't expect to go. So, for example, you know, uh, I was talking with somebody that the customer might be very sophisticated. They might be asking for very advanced functionality. Do you feel like this is only solving that single customer problem or is it going to be applicable to wider range of your customers? That helps you prioritize and say whether it's the right thing. So having that strategy and knowing where we are going, as I said, helps people to make that trade-off that is this the right problem to solve or is it just one-off for this particular customer? We are not a consulting firm. Uh, We are solving for a large number of customers. Actually, uh, this was what what did we learn when we when we added the new product line? One of the learning was that originally we were we were setting the goal of just revenue for that. We realized the goal of number of customers, number of paid customers, was a much better metrics because if you say revenue, you might be just going and building for one customer. If you said the number of paid customer, you're 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 solving a problem that applies to more of those customers. Yeah. So being in tune what customer needs and also being in tune that. It's not just one single customer. And that's why I think quantitative data is also very important. It's not just qualitative and talking to one single customer. 
I know we are coming to the end of the podcast and uh, you know one of the questions I, I I wanted to end with was what is your advice to you know young engineers who are on this journey to become leaders and you know who are aspiring to be what would your advice be to them be hungry and be curious uh, you know just go and try more and be hungry ask for opportunity one of my favorite quote is luck happens when preparedness meets opportunity so prepare yourself push out, be hungry, get out of the comfort zone, be curious, learn things, and then make sure you're somewhere that the opportunity exists uh, or create opportunity for yourself. I think when, when those things happen, you'll get lucky. I feel like you can also have your own podcast. You know, you're very inspiring. <laughs> or like you can do a TED Talk. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> no, I haven't done that. I'm not sure how many people would like to come and listen to me, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, there's so much positivity that I've been receiving on the, for the last 15 minutes. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. I feel like you, you uh, your team is in great hands. You know, it's a, you've, you're such a positive person with such great experience, you know. And it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast. And I'm pretty sure folks who are listening to us around the globe are going to enjoy uh, what we just shared and especially your experience uh, so thank you so much for hopping on the podcast Shadi I really appreciate it thanks David for having me it was great chatting with you